What's going on everybody? Welcome to another episode of Not Rocket Science. I think officially this is episode 7. I want to say episode 7. I am Sean, your host. This is the show about culture's relationship with tech, fashion, music, business, etc. Hope you guys are having a great Memorial Day. It is Memorial Day today, at least. Um, kind of crummy day for barbecuing here in New York, but good enough. If you really want to, you can definitely do it. I've taken it easy over the past couple days and just worked on this show mostly. Um, and I saw The Avengers finally. I liked it. Girlfriend didn't like it so much. Spoiler alert. I'm going to give you five seconds. One, two, three, four. Five. First superhero movie I've ever seen where the bad guy wins um, in every way, every facet. Uh, obviously, the next Avengers movie is going to be about the Avengers getting back at him. they got to crank out a lot of these things. So it was kind of a good strategic move on Marvel's side to let the bad guy win in this one. You know, it sets up the next one in a really interesting way. So I enjoyed it. I mean, that's my big outing this this Memorial Day weekend. Other than that, I've just basically worked on this stuff. Um, and I watched a lot of Mad Men again. I like I like to go back to that show a lot. I find it super interesting that era um, and the difference between advertising then and now. I don't really work in advertising, but I work in selling of a product that I work on an in-house team for. So there's some similar concepts when it comes to the marketing side. I am technically in the marketing department, even though that's just due to the lack of organizational coherence where I work. But anyway, getting on with today's show, we're going to be talking about one of the biggest subjects in the tech world these days, um, other than blockchain technology. It's designing for voice and voice-based devices and the future of um, smart devices, AI, etc. Start off with some current events, and then I want to jump into a kind of like a book review. I read a book fairly recently about uh, designing for voice-based user interfaces. Um, I've mentioned it on past episodes, but I figure since this is still just the seventh episode, I'll keep reiterating it. But like, what I do for my day job is I design uh, websites, apps for this food tech company I work for here in New York. Um, so I do a lot of designing of interfaces. Um, and one of the subjects that's kind of fascinated me 
past couple years now is uh, designing for a voice. So Google Home, Amazon Alexa, those kinds of things. They're starting to bubble up in the mainstream for sure now, um, but we're still in the early days with it. It's kind of like the internet in 1999, 2001 ish. Um, it's not fully figured out what it's going to become as an industry, the voice device industry, but we're getting there soon. You're starting to get big names in the space like Gary Vaynerchuk and people like that, Elon Musk even, you know, really talking about the future of this stuff, um, how important it is, how wide scale mainstream it's going to be, and some of the dangers of it. And uh, one news item that popped up last week kind of harps on what I want to talk about, which is the idea of people's fears in general when it comes to this stuff, and then also events that occur, why they occur, and is it something to worry about or not. So I don't know if you guys heard about it. Probably have at this point about uh, the couple that had their Amazon Echo secretly send a conversation that they had to a friend and they didn't even know that the Echo was recording their conversation. Uh, pretty interesting story, particularly because I just read a book about the design of these things and how this all works. Basically, that was not some, you know, scenario where the Echo became a corrupted device and became evil and got their iRobot on and sent that shit away without their compliance. It's It's basically a string of very unlikely circumstances happening in a row kind of like that movie final destination where like all this stuff gets set up perfectly to kill the person um it's kind of like that where so amazon came out with an article recently about how it works but basically it was nothing too crazy so the thing to know about all these devices uh, google homes amazon alexas is that they are always listening which is a little discouraging on the surface, but they don't act on anything unless they hear their wake word, which in the Echo's device is Alexa. Um, so basically, according to Amazon, maybe this is all bullshit cover-up, you know, maybe you know, Amazon is a, a conglomerate corp, but essentially what happened, and to me, this sounds totally possible based on my experience with these devices is that the Amazon Echo heard a word that sounded like Alexa in this couple's back and forth and then it interpreted the utterance which is something that triggers a response from Alexa send message and then this is where it gets weird for me because then, according to Amazon, Alexa said, to whom? And then Alexa heard a name that happens to be a name in the contact list, then asked for a confirmation, and then supposedly heard the word right, which, um, so there's, a, there's this thing called an end best list in Design for Voice, which is a, basically a list of words that are interpreted because they sound alike as the right word that triggers the action. 
Um, so they heard right. They probably heard something else, but it interpret it was on the end best list and it was interpreted as correct. Um, and it triggered the action. I might have that a tad wrong, but it seems like it's something like that which occurred. And in the book review that I'll be talking about later, what's funny is one of the main points made is that short responses are some of the hardest for these devices to handle right now. Um, And the example that the author, Kathy Pearl, uses is uh, if you were to give a one-word answer, so if your device were to be like, how are you today? And if you said, I am fine, that would be easy to understand. But if you just said fine, they might the device might interpret that as fine, but it also might interpret, interpret it as a different word, like find. Um, so it seems like a lot of that type of shenanigans was going on with this couple's conversation where Alexa was picking up words that were just good enough to pass through their system, but the natural language understanding what just wasn't there at all. And then a weird string of coincidences happened, and it sent this thing. However, all of that being said, this shit is a little scary. Um, I don't know how many of you guys noticed, but a couple years ago at this point, I think in like 2015, there was this article that came out. Um, this is more about chatbots, not so much uh, voice recognition or anything like that. But in Facebook, their artificial intelligence department they supposedly had their scientists created these bots that created that started conversing in their own language that was not english so of course when this came out of course the media creates this full scale panic and over sensationalize everything and pretend basically that skynet is happening at facebook When in reality, that's not exactly the case. Um, I like to go on Snopes.com where they do all like fact-checking for articles. Um, And they dig and research and figure it out that basically the way that the experiment was set up, that these chatbots had very specific goals they had to reach and were given flexibility on how to achieve them. And originally, sticking to English was not part of the criteria to reach the goal. So they let the chatbots, which were based on these things called convolutional neural networks, which is what you use uh, for deep learning um, AI, they essentially let them do their thing to achieve their goals. And they achieved their goals, but when doing their thing, they started communicating with one another in a way that was, in their quote-unquote minds, more effective than speaking English. The same way we do, the same way we create slang and regional dialects that work for us. Um, But... It sounds super scary on the surface. It is a little scary just to think that things that are not humans can do this. But it wasn't like Skynet was happening and they were secretly communicating with another uh, to plot, you know, 
assassinating Mark Zuckerberg or some shit like that. Like that wasn't what was going on at all. Um, and things like this are a regular step when it comes to the process of deep learning for conversation. Uh, this is just, it's, it's very natural as far as the life cycle of one of these projects. However, what, see, so Snopes came out with this article kind of like saying how the the media at the time was sensationalized and their article headlines like they do, of course. Duh, they need clicks. But my response to the Snopes article is that they, you know, they kind of dial it down because they're like, oh, everything's normal. But it's like, at the end of the day... This is just going to mature and mature and mature and mature and get more and more and more and more and more powerful. And if you look at the past and you look at how governments and collections of scientists have handled other extremely powerful yet potentially dangerous technologies like, oh, I don't know, nuclear energy, for example. Humans historically don't handle this shit very well. We tend to fuck up a lot. And sometimes we fuck up and cover it up. Sometimes certain pockets of people become evil organically, much like Nazi Germany, and get their hands on certain technology and use it in the wrong ways. Like a Joseph Mangala, for example. Like, who's to say eventually we don't get the chat bot or the smart device equivalent of a Nazi scientist. Who's to say? We don't know. Like what's actually funny is in the article on Snopes.com fact checking this Facebook AI develop their own language thing, they bring up this quote from William Wisher, who is the screenwriter of uh, the at least the main two Terminator movies where he was interviewed um, at the 2017 San Diego Comic-Con about AI. And this is his quote. Right now, everyone is terrified of AI and and Project Nightmarish scenarios around it, assuming that we are creating our own new overlords. I've been part of the Terminator films. It makes for a good movie. But what everyone fails to appreciate in these fever dreams is that human beings are the most adaptable, clever, aggressive predators in the known universe. That really helps me sleep at night, because I don't believe AI will ever fully develop as a separate thing from people. I don't think we'd allow it. We are in the infant stages now, but I think we will subsume AI and make it part of ourselves, better to control it, implementing neural nets within our brains that are connected to it, etc. Now that raises all kinds of yet unseen have and have not issues. That's another subject for another time. So to me, that first statement is purely out of ego. And not his ego, I just mean this idea that humans are the best beings of all time, the smartest, most adaptable, etc. Compared to what? We have the most developed brains. That's the only reason why. If we develop something that has a more developed brain, who knows what can happen? So, like, this idea that something better, more sophisticated can't be created and eventually break away from a connection to human beings to me 
is a bit crazy. Like if I were if I were going to the casino to make bets on whether or not AI eventually turns on humans, I would 100% bet for it. To me, it's the same thing as like, do you think intelligence exists on other planets? Like, you know how big the universe is? You would be playing against the odds big time to think that there isn't something else out there just based on the size like the amount of crazy shit that occurs every day on the internet right now that's damaging to people is insane and the internet has only been something that's been mass consumed for about what 20 years ish like 1998 I had the internet but I didn't really know what to do with it yet I mean I was also nine years old at the time but besides the point like there's the all of this as a study if we're using the beginning of the internet as as a starting point is so new that the idea that we can even think think that we know that this shit isn't going to become potentially dangerous down the road is insane it's insane for, to believe in my opinion we don't know what we're doing we're trying to push technology forward but we're getting to the point where there's going to be a break somewhere in my opinion this is just my opinion who knows maybe we self-contain all of this artificial intelligence forever but to me the fact that we have people dropping bombs on Hiroshima, we have, you know, camps in South America that Nazi refugees used to do studies on people. The fact that we thought phrenology was a real study of science for a while, and that only happened about 100 years ago, 110 years ago. Like, we need to self-check and audit ourselves a little bit more before we come out with these statements being like, oh, everything is fine. Eventually, when we get to things as complex as convolutional neural networks, we're going to fuck up. It's going to happen. If you go to any startup in the country, the whole idea of like failing fast or whatever is built into the DNA because we know at some point we're going to mess it up on some way. Now, the hope is for the mess-ups to be small, but when it comes to heavy stakes like this, somewhere down the line, someone's going to fuck up in a major way. And to me, what matters is, is it going to be in a back to the future kind of way, something that affects the future and is irreversible, or is it something that can be self-contained and fixed? I don't think what's going to happen are Skynet robots are going to start popping up and turning on people or it's going to be like that Will Smith iRobot movie where we have the one bad robot and then it triggers other bad robots and then the robots turn against us in some war with laser guns and fucking flying, running on wall robots doing karate kicks and shit. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. But something potentially dangerous to me absolutely can happen based on what I've seen and based on studying human behavior over the course of 200 years and how we work with technology and how power and greed 
and all of these traits that I believe are human nature on some level factor into the creation and the development and emergence of these technologies. So that being said, let's talk about how to design them, huh? Why not? Book review time. So the book I'm talking about is called Designing Voice User Interfaces, Principles of Conversational Experiences. It's published by O'Reilly. If you work at all in user experience design or web design, web development, you've probably seen these books. There are these books with, that tend to have some sort of animal on the cover. Like every book has some different animal. This one has a parrot, which is funny because, you know, conversational parrots. Ha ha ha. The author is Kathy Pearl, um, unequivocally a very smart designer. She is currently at Google as the head of conversational design outreach. Uh, before that, she was at a company called Sensely and was principal interaction designer at Volio, which is the company that she references a lot in the book, um, Volio designs interactive experiences where personalities are pre-recorded. So like those videos you see where there's like a person um, and you can have a conversation with that person in a video and it's kind of like a pick your path thing, I guess. I don't know. It's, it's one of those types of companies that creates those types of interfaces. Um, so thoughts on the book. Overall, I think it was an excellent read. If you have any interest in how Google uh, Google Home devices or Amazon Echoes are designed, like the process of designing how you interact with it, how you talk with it, how it delivers its results, how you test for it, this is, in my opinion, a must-read. Um, it's very informative from a historical standpoint, you know, the history of designing for voice-based interactions. Um, she talks a lot about IVR, which is the predecessor of all this stuff. IVR means interactive voice response. Um, that's kind of like when you call into a service to schedule an appointment and they got the automated robot person, like, press one. To give me all of your money, you know what I mean? Like, oh, the old 7-7 films. Remember 7-7 films back in the day? Before you could look all this stuff up online and buy tickets. AOL. AOL 7-7-7 films. That was my jam back in the day. Anyway, that's IVR. And that's the predecessor to all this stuff. And what's cool about the book is that she injects a lot of her own personality into it. And she kind of makes fun of IVR a lot. Um, you know, she, she deep dives into the value of it and the history of how these things are invented, but also recognizes how crummy they were at certain points to the point where, you know, SNL was, were making skits about them in the nineties. And she's just very self-aware of all that. And I don't, I don't want to say self-deprecating, but like IVR deprecating, um, which is interesting because most of these kinds of books don't do that kind of thing. They're very kind of just like academic and this one has a lot of personality to it, which I found as welcoming and made me want to engage with the content of the book 
more so than other O'Reilly books that I've read in the past. Uh, they have they have a different author for every kind of book, even though they all kind of look the same. The structure of the book I thought also was really uh, well crafted. It starts with just a very basic overview and then goes into an overview of all the principles that the subsequent chapters talk about in more detail. So it kind of gives you a high-level primer, a granular primer, and then deep dives into different topics um, like testing, like there's a whole chapter just about avatars, so like a visual reference and like whether your voice technology should have an avatar and best practices for avatars, things like that. And then one of the main themes that I've seen throughout the book is this idea of Automated Speech Recognition, ASR versus Natural Language Understanding, NLU. So if there's one kind of nerdy takeaway of how these things work, and if you go back to that Amazon Echo story I was talking about earlier, ASR is how a computer's backend system in a device interprets words. So someone says something how it recognizes those words and brings it into their system and then nlu which is the second part is how those words get interpreted into a response that's contextual to the initial command um, and that's how basically you get a conversation going between a device and a person it's the person says something, the ASR recognizes those words, and then the NLU component processes those words that creates a response. Um, there's a ton of difficulties behind that that she covers throughout the chapter. I don't want to go too into like every chapter and what it talks about. If you have an interest in this, um, I highly suggest picking it up and reading it yourself. It's pretty awesome, but some of the main concepts that creep up again and again and again is just the idea of creating a natural flow of conversation. And there's so many small things that you have to pay attention to that can disrupt this flow of conversation. One is not sounding like a damn computer for starters. You don't want that. I mean, when it comes to website design, you don't want that either. You always want your responses to be short, but not so short that it, it breaks away from sounding authentic like a real conversation conversational is always a good thing but also it's like pauses so that's something that apps and websites don't have to deal with but like you say something as a as a smart device how long you wait for a response because what's really interesting is it depends on the context if you're just doing some silly back and forth conversation you can have a short pause, you know, less than 400 milliseconds is what the book recommends. But then there's instances where you're asking for something to your user, like a phone number, where that person may not have it like off the top of the dome, and they have to kind of look in their phone for it or whatever. And it's like, do you allow a longer pause time? So it's these little, little intricacies that can really make or break the success of a particular dialogue between a device and its user. Um, so getting timing down is always key. And also how a response is interpreted. 
how many fallback options you have. So if someone says something, how many words on your end best list is what it's called, like I mentioned before, that are deemed passable for that one word you're looking for. Um, and then there's other s- small things like that are that are different where you're, if you're not designing with a screen in mind, how you get to the same answer that for a website you'd get by having a big button or like multiple options in a drop down you know how how do you solve that with voice cuz voice is m- much better for convenience in certain ways for typical binary responses yes no types of things but when there's multiple options or some sense of uh disambiguation that's when things can get muddy. So a lot of the hard work for a designer on a voice device is cleaning up those kinds of scenarios. And one example that is in the book could be your user is asking you for information um, because they're feeling sick. The device would probably ask for the main symptom, but it's very likely that a person will just string off all of their symptoms. I have a fever, I have a cough, sore throat, headache, etc. That's a lot of information and it's hard for a device to process what to do with all that because each one of those words is a trigger for a variety of responses. So it's about digging down and asking what is your main symptom and then going from there. Um, There's a lot of other instances too that are like this, but it's when there's ambiguity or various answers in one response that have dependencies on one another. It's about determining what's the most important thing and how you design a conversation that gets to it. Um, I thought there were more than enough examples. I mean, I'm somebody that learns on example, not just a bunch of academic-y speak. So I really appreciated that. And the other thing that I thought was really interesting is there'd be certain segments in the book where she would have some expert in one very particular type of field weigh in and kind of give their take on something. One example could be accessibility. So designing for people who may have hearing disabilities or visual impairments. Um, Just in general, web design, app design, accessibility is becoming a much, much more prominent topic in this space. It's a real big deal. In my work, we put a huge amount of importance on accessibility. That's because they were sued at one point. But still, it's becoming a bigger and bigger deal in this space. So she uh, asked these two designers, Sarah Basson and... Nandini Stocker, who are both at Google, and they and she dedicated a couple pages to them to weigh in on their thoughts on accessibility. So I thought that was really cool. Get other opinions and other experts into the book, and kind of just break it up a little bit. I thought that was really awesome. And the other thing that I really liked on a high level was kind of what I was talking about earlier. She kind of throws out the whole doomsday scenario to all this and like what's the bottom line to all this effort um and whether we will wind up in some like skynet terminator type situation she doesn't delve too deep into that she kind of i think she mentions like you know it's like kind of another 
topic for another day type of thing. But I do appreciate in a book that's an O'Reilly book that's you know, fairly an academic read. Um, she's still calling out these kinds of scenarios because that's what, you know, the vast amount of people have that notion in the back of their head. So if voice first, hashtag voice first, is really going to take off, you know, this stuff has to kind of get surfaced. Like, we can't just keep being like, who knows, we'll see. Or like, no, 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 we're fine. Like, this has to, I, I think people who are design leaders in this space or technological leaders in this space need to I think talk about it more but do it in a in a conversational way in a casual way um not kind of mitigate it or hide from it let's just talk about it you know are we designing for our own eventual destruction who knows maybe maybe not um I'm no expert when it comes to that but I think it would be cool to just have more people actually not be afraid to bring it up and talk about it. Because that's what everyone talks I mean, you have Elon Musk talking about it at these big events. It's, it's mainstream. It's probably the most mainstream thing about AI, artificial intelligence, and conversations with AI that exists right now. I mean, I also... Th- Before that happens, though, I also think the Her situation, like the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson, I think that's also a very plausible scenario. You know, there's a lot of lonely people out there. And honestly, I consider that a good thing at the end of the day. I mean, you know, if if we can get technology that smart to the point where people who are lonely out there can have some sort of companionship, with that level of intelligence, you know, I'm all for that. And to me, that's a positive benefit of all this. So it's really interesting to see where this goes. But this book, Designing Voice User Experiences by Kathy Pearl, highly recommend it. It was a fantastic read. I encourage anyone with any interest in this space, whether you're a professional product designer, UX designer or not, you're just somebody that's interested in technology. I think this book is pretty inclusive and pretty easy to read. And if you aren't privy to the process of product design, this book will lift up the little little and show you about the process of how these things are developed. Um, so I highly recommend it. I don't have some like star system or anything, but you know, fuck it. Five stars, five stars. Great book. Highly recommend it. Whew. Um, I'm going to keep this one light and I think I'm going to call it now. I will have more updates soon. This one was a little tech heavy, um, but I'm going to jump around and do something a little more pop culture heavy probably next episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. I appreciate it. I'm on the Instagram at NRS underscore show. That's NRS underscore show. You know, if you want to engage in any way i'm not saying follow like at least check it out though um also on twitter same name nrs underscore show i really appreciate the listens guys i'm gonna keep cranking these things out i'm gonna do some other things coming up soon some other surprises that will be not a podcast but still under the not rocket science banner uh i don't know if i'll say it yet Maybe I'll uh, maybe I'll mention what those ideas are in the next episode. Right now they're just kind of concepts. Um, we'll see where they go, but I'm for sure gonna keep grinding with this thing. Can't stop, won't stop. Thank you guys. 
This is Sean Cully. I'm saying my last name now. Screw it. I am out. Take it easy.